The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And down in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." That's the word of the Lord. I'm afraid that 2,000 years of familiarity with that word has caused us to basically hear it the way I read it. And a lot of people would say, that was a dramatic reading. I I honestly don't think it's anywhere close to the way John the Baptist said it. You think he just said, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers! probably more like what he said. And if he came to our church to say it, we probably would have called the police. Just being honest, in order to read so much of the word of God, we have to do what I just did. We have to tame it way down. We have to take it out of that wilderness. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you were in a wilderness? We have to take it out of that wilderness because it just seems silly to sort of try and recreate it here where we are. We have to take it out of the um, out of this guy in the desert that really has no credibility whatsoever. Talk about a lone wolf. Talk about a loner. Talk about a a uh, some sort of a crazy prophet out there. He's the first person that the church in America today would be saying, "Do not pay attention to this guy." Yes, <clears throat> I'm just picturing the Wizard of Oz at this point trying to tell Dorothy not to pay attention to the little man behind the curtain. as them. So here's John the Baptist, out in the desert, introducing the one who is 100% God and 100% man. Last week, we introduced Jesus in the words of John's introduction to him at the Jordan River. But then particularly as God's affirmation of him 
In a word, Jesus Christ is the totality of God's revelation of himself and the totality of God's revelation of his purpose in creation and history. Now, I don't, shouldn't have used the word revelation. I'm really sorry. It's such a big, fancy word. Really, is if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the world's all about, look at Jesus. That your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't something that that takes you to this internal realm of the kingdom of God in your heart or something like that. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is something that touches on absolutely everything you're going to come in touch with. In a word, Jesus Christ is the totality of what God wants you to know about him, what God wants you to know about his purpose in creating the whole world and you in it and the context of your life and America's life and and the whole world's life as everything all fits in together and assuming you're American, if you're Korean, the context of your life, Korea's life, the Asia's life, the world's life, it, it all goes together, is <clears throat> Jesus Christ. So I try to begin where God begins, and that is always with the incarnation and what it means for God to become a human being. If you don't understand how something in the Bible or in the world displays dwells in or manifests Christ, you don't really understand what you're reading or looking at. You don't understand the mathematical equation you just wrote down in your, out of your textbook. You don't understand that quote from Shakespeare or even the quote from um, Lao Tzu. You don't understand these things. If you don't understand how Jesus Christ has put his world together, there's an awful lot to understand, I'll grant you that. But understanding who Jesus is, seeing Christ, that Christianity is not merely a religion that you subjectively is hidden in your heart somewhere, or even subjectively you run around telling people about what's in you. Oh, I had this experience. It's not that. It's, well, what is it? What I want to do is move to the first verse of chapter 3 and ask, what is the first word of this religion called Christianity? Now, after 2,000 years, we've gotten so used to the word gospel that we, we know that's, that's a thing that summarizes what Christians believe. It's, it's the gospel, okay? And the problem with words like the gospel, it's a great gospel, and it's, it's a great word, and people will come along and say, well, gospel really means good news, because uh, it comes from the Greek word euangelion, and they unpack that. Now you feel like a scholar, because it's like, wow, I now know the word euangelion, and that means good news or good message. You know, it's where we get the word, it's like good angel, angelion. It's, it, it means the word of a messenger that's good, it's good news, it's, it's great. Uh, a baby boy was born, uh, break out your cigars, for under us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his whole shoulders. And anyway, it's good news. What is the first way that, that they introduce this good news? Like, if you could go take a look at the first thing that John the Baptist said, the first thing that Jesus said, what Jesus said when he summarized what he had to say, what, what Jesus told the disciples to say when he sent them out on that preaching mission, what, what um, perhaps Peter spoke at the very first sermon of the church, what uh, Stephen said, uh, what Paul said, how they summarized their teaching and so forth. If there was something in common to each one of these sources, wouldn't you have a good idea of saying, this is the first word of the gospel? This is the 
first word of good news. You want to know what the good, what's good about the good news? This is it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at what Hebrews said by now. You should know all this stuff and move on beyond it. And I'm going to take a look at it. And after that, we're going to know all this stuff. We're going to move on beyond it. But I'm willing to bet that most of us haven't even gotten to this point. I know I hadn't until I did this study. <clears throat> so at the risk of, of treating you all like children and, and the stuff I'm going to be referring to, I, I know you're very familiar with. Uh, so I don't mean to be preaching down at you or anything like that. But Hebrews does says this is stuff we really ought to know. So my recommendation to you is at this point, as you know it, turn this off, go somewhere else. But here's what we find. In Matthew 3, 2, we're told, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what we're going to do in all the rest of the verses, I'll just give you a little, uh, what do you call it when you say something about a movie? I can't even remember the term. Spoiler alert. That you're going to find in everything I'm going to refer to from here on is repentance in the kingdom of heaven, in a sense, almost used interchangeably. If repentance isn't unto the kingdom, or if the kingdom isn't about repentance, then you're not talking about the good news. You're talking some other kind of news, or news that perhaps you have made better news, um, because you've avoided some of the things that you don't want to really see or hear. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus begins his teaching, we saw uh, John the Baptist had his teaching ministry beginning with repent in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 4, 17, sure enough, Jesus says from that time, Jesus began to teach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus then, in an argument with the Pharisees, excuse me, summarizes his ministry. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, Jesus summarizes his ministry. Go and learn what this means. Now he's talking about, I mean, he's just talking about the nature of mercy and sacrifice and arguing with the Pharisees, but he ties it right there into repentance. Then when Jesus sent out his disciples on their training tour, we find their preaching summarized in Matthew 10, 7. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't say anything about repentance. But now go see how Mark introduces mm -hmm. this exact same ministry here. He says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. Matthew doesn't mention the kingdom of heaven. Mark, or vice versa, Matthew doesn't mention repentance. Mark doesn't mention the kingdom of heaven. But when they're telling the story, one mentions one and one mentions the other. Now, now for us, this might seem to be a contradiction or this might be any number of things. But for, for them, I don't think any of the disciples would have said, what's your problem? The kingdom of heaven is under repentance and repentance is under the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that would have been a problem for them. So turn now that we've summarized what John the Baptist said, what Jesus said, what um, uh, the book of, uh, excuse me, what um, the first message of the disciples was when they were still in training. Let's take a look at the book of Acts where Peter preaches the first sermon in the New 
covenant, spirit-filled church. After setting forth who this Jesus of Nazareth is, <clears throat> that, by the way, everybody's been watching him, everybody's been looking at him for the last two years, he concludes with a call to action. This is Peter's first sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? By the way, let me just stop here and say this is kind of like John the Baptist. You hear dramatic readings of this, and nobody ever picture a crowd of people. They're spellbound. They're listening. And when they've gotten done, they are in anguish saying, what are we going to do? They've just seen Jesus killed. They've heard word that he came back from the dead. Now the disciples in hiding are standing up. Picture to yourself what was taking place here. This wasn't just a, a question the way I would ask it. Well, that's very interesting information. And But before I do anything, I, I really want to see it in its full context, Peter. What, what do we do about it? Okay, that's, that's a philosopher. That's the way we like to be because we're cool. These people weren't responding that way. And if I were to read it in my understanding, you know, attempt to do it. It sounded really weird and out of place. And the point is, it's not weird and out of place. We are. We don't grasp the intensity of what's being discussed here. Then Peter said to them, repent. By the way, he didn't just say it the way I said, repent. Think of how he is saying it. Think of the crowd. There's a huge area that's full of people. He is shouting this at the top of his lungs. He's looking like what we would call a lunatic. I'll be honest with you. I'm personally embarrassed to try and even imitate him because I'm afraid I'd look stupid. Stupider than I already am. Again, I'm reminding you, this is what we are. We are the ones that are out of sync here. The people unafraid to stand on the street corner and shout this, they're the ones who are consistent with the message of the gospel and how they're doing it. Now, they may be wrong. They may be doing it in the wrong place. I'm not arguing for or them or against them. I'm saying, take a look at the scriptures, and you tell me who you think is more consistent with the people we read there. Some guy whose little face you see on square Facebook, I, I, I squish you face. I squish you head. Some guy like that. Or some guy who's out on the street corner who's unashamed to stand up and shout the name of Jesus and say, repent. You know, the guy that we sort of laugh at and say, man, he's got guts. Who is more like Peter, more like John, more like Jesus? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to see the echo here of John the Baptist preaching. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what they, just within an hour, if that long, 15 minutes maybe, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours, the Holy Spirit and fire had just fallen on the disciples. And here was Peter offering the Holy Spirit as a fruit of repentance. Now, as they began their mm -hmm. teaching and healing ministry, uh, Acts 3.19 records the conclusion of Peter's sermon when he healed the paralytic in the temple. And they challenged him, and he in responding to those who were challenging his healing of the paralytic. He said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Then again, in Acts 11.18, 
when the word comes in Jerusalem, the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit. Remember, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They're blown away. Verse 18, when, we heard these, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God's also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This, to grab the feeling of this, imagine the old school southern slave owner, uh, uh, oh, what do you call him, racist KKK person, who is stunned to find out that Jesus Christ died for the African Americans, and in the very act of saying it, uses the N-word. In the very act of his revelation, realizing Oh my goodness, this is for everybody. And in the very same act of saying it, accidentally just comes out with the Gentiles, the dogs, the, the worthless people. They can have repentance unto life? That's, that's how fresh this message was. That's how mind-blowing it was. That is Gentiles, all the nations, the dogs that God had reserved for hell may enter into the covenant and promise of God through repentance. There is no body who's exempt from the gospel anymore. There is no body that we can say, well, that person out there, we have to worry about them. Well, they're unborn, so what if they die? Better for the unborn to die than for us to speak against it, and who knows, the Romans may come and take our place. Now, this is remarkable stuff. They're, they're, they're coming into it newness, and again, I always have that sense that 2,000 years of familiarity with the message enables us to be people who can't even grasp what the message is, even though we know it better than anybody else in history. Repentance and the kingdom of God were also the mark of Paul's preaching as Acts records it in chapter 17 and in chapter 26. To the Athenians, now get it, the Athenians were the wisest people in the world. They're, whenever I think of the Athenians, I, I always think of that guy in Princess Bride, I'm the smartest man in the world. Here they were, and they said, talk to us. This is the message which Paul had to say to them. After he finishes his whole sermon, he's gotten done with everything he wants to say. He says, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. <laughs> you got to get, here are the smartest people in the world. They've just been called ignorant. Okay, you ignorant people. Hey, you know what? I know you think you're really smart, but really you're ignorant fools, and God's calling you to repent. He's overlooked your ignorance. In other words, he's not even going to deal with your ignorance. He's not even going to argue about your ignorance. He's not even going to take the time to prove it. You know that you're ignorant. That's what he's telling these smart people. You know that you're ignorant, and he, you know that God is commanding you to repent and to believe. To repent? Wait, wait a second. I, I, I grasp believe. I grasp the idea of, oh, I realize my philosophical view of the world was, is wrong or my sociology was wrong or something like that. And now this is the right way. I'm going to believe these doctrines, these ideas. It's not that. It's he's commanding you to repent. It's not that you have the wrong idea. It's that you need to be sorry about the wrong idea. Your wrong idea was destroying everything that God put into your hands. At the very high point of what you were thinking you were doing the best, God's trying to show you that you need to repent of that. Now, this, this concept of repentance echoes Peter's conclusion to all those in the temple. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also your rulers. Again, he's calling people ignorant. When God grants you repentance, 
he's willing to overlook your ignorant and your willful sin because there's no other door into God's kingdom. We'll get back to the concept of repentance being a door in just a second because it's a lot more than a door. We're going to look at Acts 26.20. To Agrippa, King Agrippa, and to Felix, who is the high-ranking Roman official in that era at the time, to Agrippa, Paul has the audacity to call for his repentance to God while in the chains of prison. From the lowest point on the food chain, social food chain, to the highest point on the social food chain, Agrippa, you have Paul calling out, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do the works befitting repentance. How is this calling Agrippa to repentance? Well, read the next few verses. Agrippa is blown away and says, you know, you keep going like this, Paul, you're going you're gonna to make me a Christian. Paul doesn't pick up on the, on, on, man, what, what a great thing. I, I wish I was there. I could have said it much better than Paul. I would have said, that's right, all there. Let's talk a little bit more because you just said that you're almost about to be converted and you got to realize that God can use who you are and God can, can take those gifts and abilities and he can, he, he can do stuff with you. Well, that's not what Paul said. Apparently, that's not what the Holy Spirit wanted. I wonder if it's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do today or if he wants us to be more like Paul. Paul says, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul goes right to the heart of the point. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Whatever it is that's keeping Agrippa, from converting right there on the spot. He doesn't take the pressure off of it, but simply says, you've heard me. If you want to know what I want, it's for you to become like me, somebody who has repented, who has come to Jesus Christ, who knows him. I'm not saying there's not a time to discuss the details of all that. I'm simply saying that so often we escape into the details to get away from the central fact of repentance and the kingdom of God. And the fact that that is what the unbeliever does not want, even while he's desperate for what it offers. Then finally, we come to the last verse of the book of Acts, which is the final statement of the story of the founding of our church. We see Paul under house arrest. This is the last verse in Acts preaching the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what all these have in common? What's the first word of the gospel? What is the central issue of the gospel? What does it begin with? What does it end with? How does it get summarized again and again? The one thing that pops its head up again and again is repentance, which is inextricably linked with the order in the earth, the order of the earth, how things ought to be in the earth, which God wished to establish. It's otherwise known as the kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that it is established only on one foundation, the person of Jesus Christ. So from the introduction and the message of John the Baptist, through the preaching of Jesus, through the preaching of the disciples, it's J Jesus Christ, repentance, 
and the kingdom of heaven. So let's take a look at formal repentance in the church. When we have times of repentance formally set aside during our worship, don't neglect them. I know it's liturgical. Don't, don't neglect them. If they seem painfully long to you or boring to you, stop and ask yourself, who are you? What have you become? Repentance is the first word of the good news in Jesus Christ. And now it's this long, boring 30 seconds. It is something that's been given to us as a gift. Acts eleven eighteen says uh, it's God's gift to the Gentiles. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. But it's also to establish fellowship between us. Repentance is not merely how we get into God's kingdom. It is a part and parcel of that kingdom. It's a piece of that kingdom. It's what the kingdom is all about. And it's more than that. It's not merely a doorway. He transfer It's a transformation process. You can't repent, even if you're doing the stuff that a repentant person would do. You have to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into a person who is characterized by the ability to abase yourself before God. And therefore, once you've done that, you don't have to worry about abasing yourself before anybody else. We don't have to hide behind the defensive walls, fearing the consequences of discovery. What we are is well known. We don't have to hide behind the idea that, oh my goodness, I might say something wrong, I might do something wrong, and then somebody might think Jesus is an idiot. You don't have to worry about that. First of all, they know you're an idiot. Second of all, they think Jesus is an idiot anyway. So you're not going to make that any worse. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already has identified with everything you're going to do wrong. What do you have to worry about? You become a person for whom repentance is a characteristic. We don't have to hide. You would think that between a husband and a wife, there could be total honesty, complete repentance, forgiveness, and acceptance. And mm -hmm. often this is the last place you're going to find it. What is there to lose, though? Some men sitting right here, if you're listening to this, need to go home and spend some time with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, confessing that, well, the example here is for your wife, that you're not been the perfect provider, the perfect master and ruler of your home through godly service. And instead, we tend to rely on power and winning. We need to repent of all that. You know, your, your wives will forgive you. Believe me, they know above all your failures and they're still going to love you and your confession will not give them new material to attack with. But if they do attack with that material, it's okay because it's true, isn't it? Isn't it true that you've failed to provide for them that you've been a master and ruler of your home, not through godly service, but rather relying on power and winning your arguments and because I'm the dad, that's why. So if they take the material of your repentance and it's real repentance and they turn and attack you with it and they say, instead of saying, yeah, and I haven't been that good either, they say, man, you sure have been whatever it is your sins are that you've confessed. All I can do is, is just say, you're right and I'm, I'm very sorry. They go, yeah, right. Then all you can say is, you're right. In time, if you've been made a new creature, you'll change. And wives also to your husband, some of you know how easy it is to take a man's humility and desire to love and serve you in Christ. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know they have the desire to do that. We're not really very good at it, okay? But, but that is the ideal. Uh, but to be honest, how many times do you take that and drive him to complete frustration and impotence, running him in circles? Sorry, uh, I know there's some of you out there listening that this certainly is not your sin, but, but yeah, take a look at it. You know, through most of history, now, just to be honest, throughout most of history, 
women have withered under the power model of marriage. And now when it can be corrected, and men are realizing, what have we done? You take the power to yourself and try to do to the most important person in your life what men have done to women over the millennia. There's, there's plenty of room for both of you to repent. It is plenty of room for both of you to become new creatures in Christ. And the same can be said of parents with children. We need to confess to our children that we have lorded it over them with a hard fist. And uh, consequently, our kids a lot of times see nothing but the rules. Oh, okay. Now there's some of you out there who have the opposite thing to repent of. As good Americans, uh, need to confess that you've been too lenient and have let the kid go when we should have reined him in. I'm, I'm a parent of eight kit, kit, kittens. Kids, believe me, I understand how that process works. Um, it's very difficult not to commit one or the other sin. But we don't have to be afraid of it. Jesus Christ took that sin on his cross and he made us a person who can be different. And finally, you children, some of you have begun to branch away and experiment with life in, in ways that cuts you off from the most important people in your life. And I'm not saying you've gone out and committed sin. I'm saying part of growing up is becoming independent. Just remember, your parents, your brothers, and your sisters are the most important people in your life. Don't do things, even good things, that break the legitimate link you have with them. You need to sit down and speak openly with your father and mother. It begins with repentance. Your very fear to speak openly and to confess repentance of what needs to be repented of should be a wake-up call to you for how far you have strayed even at your young age. It should also be a wake-up call to your parents when they hear you as to how many other things have choked out their relationship with you on their end of it. And I can hear each person I've addressed here explaining to me, Joseph, you just don't understand. My wife, my husband, my parents, my kids, they would never understand. I've done this before. It, it didn't work because I went right back to my vomit. And I just don't have what it takes to change. And they don't have what it takes to forgive. And if I just confess to one thing, they'll think that everything else is bad too. And, and you have no idea what it's like knowing our excuses go on and on. Mine do anyway. If you're going to cling to your excuses, then there is no good news for you in your life, in your relationships. No good news. But what we can get away from, well, excuse me, what we can't get away from is the first word of the gospel of God's good news. Repentance is the foundation of God's order, God's kingdom. If you understand that I'm not talking here about doing something, God has transformed you. What I'm talking about being something. We can be who God made us to be, the new creatures in Christ, only by shucking off the old skin of sin and rebellion through repentance and putting on the new clothing and the armor that befits those who enter the banquet hall of God's kingdom. And so we can go out fed, strong, armed in the simplicity of truth. It doesn't mean spending the rest of your life being the sort of cringing creep who can only talk about his sins. Oh, I am so sorry for my sins. Oh, I'm such a sinner. No, it means doing what you do with no fear that some skeleton's going to come falling, clanking out of your closet. It doesn't mean you have to go around telling people what all your skeletons are every time. You, oh, by the way, I just want you to know that 10 years ago I had an evil thought about it or a lustful thought. It. No, no. If the skeleton comes out of your closet, you just look at him and go, you guys, that's true. That I, I did that. That's me. That's covered in Christ, I pray. Or, or 
maybe your sin nature is going to rear its head and you're going to do something 10 years from now would be a would be selling. Or you're going to say something that's going to ruin everything. Or where somebody thinks you have just screwed the pooch again when you really haven't. And what you desperately want to do is explain to them, no, that really, you, you misunderstand. I thought you said this. I, 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 I was... When that happens, you don't need to defend and explain or fall apart. You don't need to walk around being the person who's always talking about what a sinner they are. By the way, there's other sin I'd like to tell you about. When it happens, you don't need to defend and explain, fall apart. When you realize, I am so useless, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? That's not what you have to do. You repent, you move on. You're a person for whom you have built in the way to get beyond into the fullness of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, who you are. And that is somebody who can say, I did that. I am sorry. I repent. I'm wrong. And you move on. Whether the other person accepts it, attacks it, whatever, you can move on. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's moving on with new creatures for whom nobody can attack them. But you did such and such. That's right. But you just said such and such. That's right. But you know, you act like such and such. That's right. Pray for me, brother, because that is the exact opposite of what I want to be. And you can move on. Now, what does God have for us to do in his kingdom? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is no longer at hand. It is here in the preaching of the gospel. You are its citizens. You are its representatives. You are its builders. You are its stones. You are the ones God has called. So perhaps the reason we're so slow to explain the gospel to those outside the faith is because we refuse to live it in the first place as our first requirement, our only requirement, our state of being. We look at our lives that have not experienced the times of refreshing, or we experience repentance and think, oh, that's it, somehow unique to us and no one else would understand or accept it. Or we see others repent and we take a lower seat and we think, my God, what a horrible thing. What went wrong in that person's life? And we blow it into a disaster rather than the first step out of the disaster. And so we are silent, neither repenting ourselves nor accepting the repentance of others for the healing it should bring and the freedom from the curse. And so we're silent about the gospel to our neighbors. And we try to come up with a gospel that doesn't need repentance because, as we all know today, we're not really that bad. I mean, God's business is to forgive us, isn't it? And so we become silent instead of even talking about sin. Stop talking about hell. It's uncomfortable. And so repentance has little transformational power in our own lives. And so, too, our representation of the kingdom and the kingdom of God has so little power around us. But repentance is not one optional door among many through which we gain access to God's kingdom, like I said earlier. It is not the weekly visit of the priest or our prayer closet. It is the narrow gate. And judging by lives of desperation, even within the church, few are they who find it, and even fewer who proclaim it. But it goes beyond being a mere door. It is the characteristic of a life of someone who has admission to the table of our Lord, and through it we must go not only for the first time we come to Christ, but forever when we come to him as he is presented in the elements before us at every Lord's table. We are going to partake of the sacraments which represent what repentance unto life is. And that's our access to the table of our Lord. And that's all I have to say about repentance today. So I have no idea how to end something like this, but I'm going to push the button that says finish and say goodbye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.